Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Kilby Spencer, and he's kind of my new favorite fiddler. I wasn't able to fully enjoy his fiddling while playing with him because I was really concentrated on trying to keep up and not make a fool out of myself on my own show. But I finished editing our interview and jam just right now, and my jaw was on the floor the whole time. Kilby's awesome. And the best part is, I didn't even get a chance to be intimidated because he's one of the nicest, most hospitable people I've met in my travels. He let me crash at his house through a bunch of amazing musicians with awesome stories in front of my microphones and uh, fed me all the fried chicken I could eat. Five stars. Would do business again. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Kilby's a kind, generous person and a fantastic fiddler. His story's full of gratitude and humility because he came to this music uh, more honestly than most of us do. And I think that understanding of what he's doing, why he's doing it, and where it all came from is apparent in his playing and living. I learned a lot playing with him and had a blast. I'm so glad I got some of it on tape so you could all catch a glimpse. Stick around after the interview for details on how to hear more of Kilby's music and how to support Get Up in the Cool and get access to exclusive bonus content. Let's get started. Kilby Spencer, everybody. Enjoy. Thank you. 
right on. Um, Kilby Spencer, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks for having me, Cameron. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, so here, here's what happened for the listeners at home. Uh, basically, um, I uh, Kilby said he would host me for a couple nights and uh, that he would just round up some people for me to record. Usually I like do all of the organizing myself, but this is it's been a real treat to just show up and he just puts people in front of me <laughs> and I record them and they're all amazing. Uh, so last night we did uh, your whole family and crew and then uh, Lucas Paisley. And uh, now, since I didn't get a chance to ask you your, your story, since there's so many people here now, it's just me and you, then I wanted to hear what it's like growing up with uh, Thornton and Emily and um, yeah, just hear your old time story. So, well, um, I'm 35 years old and uh, I was lucky this area, uh, it's Northwest North Carolina, Southwest Virginia is full of traditional mountain music and, and musicians. So you can almost throw a rock and, and hit one, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the way it is. But uh, I, uh, my parents have been in the white top mountain band for, uh, I guess, Roughly 40 years, maybe even closer to 50 now. Wow. The band was actually started back in the 1940s by Albert Hash. Albert married uh, my dad's older sister, and my dad got interested in fiddling. He started fiddling in the late 40s, early 50s. And uh, he and my mom got married uh, in the 1970s. I was born in uh, 1982, and uh, actually I was have the same birthday as Albert. Um, so that was kind of kind of strange. Albert unfortunately passed away in, in 1983, so I never really got to know him. But uh, growing up, my parents played music all the time. I mean, my mom uh, just recently retired from basically being a full-time music teacher, teaching mountain music in the, in the local schools. And Dad uh, ran a country store and, and mostly played music. You know, that's what, that's what they did, and taught music to people, too. And uh, they didn't push it on me, so when I was a kid... I really, you know, wasn't super into it. There was lots of dances, festivals, and stuff yeah. going on. I would go to them, but uh, lots of times I would like sleep yeah. on the stage, you know, sleep in a bass case or something, just not that interested in it. <laughs> and then about the time I was uh, probably four, 13, 14, I could play tunes, you know. I mean, you, you, when there's instruments around the house, you yeah. know, a kid you pick up, I might like, knew like two, three yeah. tunes. Um, wasn't super interested in it. Then it became part of the school curriculum in yeah. Grayson County Schools uh, in White Top, Virginia, where, where we lived. And, uh, of course, Mom was, Mom was the teacher. Albert had actually started the program back in the, mm. I think, early 80s, and it kind of ended up in the schools. His daughter taught for a while, Albert's daughter. Then Mom took it over. And it was called the Albert Hash Memorial String Band Program. So it became part of the regular curriculum. Um, me and some guys around my age... All of us had relatives who played music. You know, my parents, Albert, so and so on. My buddies had great grandpas, grandpas, whatever, yeah. played music. None of us were that interested in it. Then, when it became part of the school program and we had two hours a day where that we could do this, yeah. we all got super interested yeah. in and the music and uh, the and it's made it all that much better to find all these family traditions yeah. that were you know all of us were tied into it. So. Uh, from then on, I was I was really into learning all the music I could, the techniques, and about the people, sitting down with the people and talking to them because there's a lot more uh, to the music than the notes. Yes. You know, the people, yes. people behind them is the probably the most important part. So uh, <clears throat> me and some of my buddies, specifically Blake Rash, 
his great-grandfather taught Albert Hatch how to play. So we had that connection. Me and him would go around, sit down with uh, you know some of the local fiddle players and record them, jam with my mom and dad on weekends. So that was kind of what we got into to doing about the time I guess uh, I had a driver's license. So, But that last tune we played is called Richmond. And uh, it's a lot of local fiddlers play it. I learned it from mom and dad. I think dad learned it from a Galax fiddler named Otis Burris, who was who was really uh, uh, successful at local conventions in the 50s and 60s and uh, was was well-known. He had a real exciting uh, driving driving sound and kind of a, a wild fiddle style, is what I would say. So, so that's, that's kind of how I got started into it. And, you know, I'm just uh, thankful I was able to appreciate it, you know. Yes. Because uh, there's always a chance you just, it's too late and you don't appreciate it until it's too late. But yeah. I was lucky. Did, uh... Did you like school in general? Yeah, I like I like school pretty so good. So it it wasn't like a um this like kept you interested in school or anything. It was like just like an extra fun thing to do. Yeah, we yeah. had a unique environment because White Top is in a very small community and it was a K through 12 school and there was only about 80 or 90 students in it most of the time. The school is yeah. no longer there actually now, but um so I graduated with five people. In my in my senior class, so it was a good school because you had a lot of individual attention and yeah, and the teachers were good and yeah. most people were able. If they wanted to go to college. You had a good head start, you know, well prepared yeah. for for school. So, huh. and well prepared for playing music. There's a lot of uh, m- you know good local musicians that kind of came out of that program for sure. Right on. So. Yeah, um, your uh, your mom Emily was saying that uh, she wants to like turn that turn that old school into like a community center or art space or something like that. It, it would be a great thing. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, I can't remember when the first part of the school was built. Maybe it's like in the twenties or thirties or something. I mean, it's, it's a great, great building. It's a shame. I wish they had never, had never closed it. Although I understand the reasons for it. It's pretty far out in the County and everything, yeah. but it's perfect for a community art center, you yeah. know, music camp, who knows totally. that sort of stuff. If, if the right stuff happened. So, yeah. Maybe someday. Yep. What's next on this list? Um, the next one is called uh, Lafayette, and after we get done playing, we can talk about it. Yeah, very good. Thank you. 
Lafayette. Lafayette, yeah. Wonderful. That's another one I learned uh, from Dad, and uh, also uh, a cousin, Dean Sturgill, plays it, and it's... uh, I've been told it was a tune that Thomas Jefferson, who was a fiddle player, one of his favorite fiddle tunes. I know really? he's credited with, uh, I don't know if he's credited with writing the song Liberty, you know, which is a, another yes. good fiddle tune, but I know he played Liberty, and uh, supposedly Lafayette was, was high on his list of fiddle tunes that he played. So. I didn't know that he was a fiddler. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, there's not really a whole lot of local history about that one. I suspect it's a reference to Lafayette, Tennessee. And... Uh, there's a group that used to play on the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, I mean, it probably started back in the 30s, Fruit Jar Drinkers. And Kirk and <laughs> Sam McGee, the McGee brothers, Kirk McGee played the fiddle, and that was one of the things he played. And I know that, that Dean, uh, my cousin Dean, who i talk about a little bit more later on, played uh, played that tune, and I think he might have learned it from listening to the, the Fruit Jar Drinkers with Crook brothers playing it on the Opry. Uh, and you got to think, in, in, in a certain period of time, uh, where there wasn't a whole lot of records, especially fiddle-related records coming out, say in the 50s yeah. or whatever with rock and roll, that one of the ways to learn new tunes would be to tune in to the Opry yeah. for that very brief three or four minutes right that, you, that there was a fiddle band at that point on the Opry. Yeah. So I guess that uh, tunes like that stuck with you if you heard them. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's cool down here. Um, it seems like there's a lot more... When I record people up north or in different areas of the country, like they they always talk about like mostly source recordings that they listen to, you know. Um, but around here, just in the today and last night, it's a lot of yeah. I learned this from this person who learned it from this person who learned it from the source or things like that. It's really cool to hear like a lot more living oral tradition. Sure, it's, it's, it's really in, cool. It's interesting. I mean, it's lucky that. Uh, Basically, this this area, North Carolina and, and, and Southwest Virginia, that uh, although there was some danger of old-time music maybe dying out a little bit at yes. certain points, it never did yeah. die all the way out. And thankfully, there was recorded documentation going back into the 20s, so it's it's pretty easy to uh, to keep it alive. And, you know, like like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't that interested in it. And then when I got interested in it, I'm like, well, all these people that Dad talks about that he learned from or that Albert learned from that have passed on. There's got to be tapes somewhere because yeah. people were passing through, so I started hunting. Yeah. You know, we found tapes of, of relatives and stuff all over. You know, I'm, the Internet is a wonderful thing. It wasn't yeah. that big a deal, but about the time I got really interested, I was like, okay, I'm going to email, you know, find this person, email them. And a lot of times they had, like, sure, I've got tapes. I'll send, you know, I'll transfer them. I'll send you the reels, whatever. Yeah. And uh, so that leads you down a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole. It's grateful to be able to... Uh, you know, hear these people talking and playing and thank, be thankful that that stuff wasn't lost. Although Dad is on a lot of the tapes, he wasn't recording them himself. You know, it was like yeah. lots of times people, Blatt Owen and Tom Carter, who were, Blatt Owen's passed away, but Tom Carter's still around. They got a grant, I think around 72, 1972, and came through Virginia, North Carolina, like everywhere, you know, all these different little rural counties and just ask around for fiddle players and banjo players and um, recorded so much good music and they got up with dad and dad took him around to see albert they recorded albert recorded dad recorded carbot stamper hmm. one of albert's teachers john blevins banjo player from white top anyhow um i'm thankful for all that thankful that all that stuff exists uh because you know it's it's great to be able to sit down with the people and learn 
directly from people here. Yeah. And it's also great to be able to hear who they learned from. You yes. Know, hear the recordings of that stuff too. But lots of times you can see, okay, this person passed it down to this person, then they're passing it down to me. Yeah. And, and it is still part a big part of life around here. I guess it is everywhere. If you you know where there's old time music, but lots of times on a Saturday night, if people aren't playing shows, they just come over, hang out, you know, and we'll have a jam session, talk about stuff. So yeah, that's the way it goes. It's cool. I I love the idea of like all this free entertainment. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, there's still money pits in it. You know, yeah. buying instruments and buying strings and rehairing your bow and stuff. But yeah. it's like uh, you're 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 not. Um, hiring someone else to entertain you exactly funding your own entertainment yeah yeah it's cool and more often than not i mean you can play enough music to occasionally get a little tired of it but you always come back around to it as like this is the best best method of entertainment fun is to sit down with your friends and play and talk about the music so yeah i'm gonna tune this fiddle up and we can yeah i'm gonna check my banjo yeah Whose banjo is that up in uh, up in the guest room? That is uh, a banjo that I got several years ago. One one nice thing about this area, there's a lot of great local instrument makers. Yeah. And uh, that banjo came from a guy named Dave Sturgill, who briefly, well, he made instruments for a long time. He had a company called something like Skyland Music Company or something in Piney Creek, North Carolina, which is about 20 minutes from here. And he uh, had like apprentices and also made the instruments himself. And turned out a lot of stuff. And I found that banjo, I can't remember, somewhere on the internet and bought it, you know. And uh, But there's a lot of great instrument makers here too. Both uh, the fiddle I was just playing and this one I'm getting ready to play were both made by Albert Hash uh, at different points. He made about 300 or fiddles a week, guess. That's a guess yeah. anyhow. And taught a lot of people instrument making. Wayne Henderson, who's a well-known guitar builder, kind of, Albert sort of got him started down the path to building instruments. And there's a there's a lot of people here that build build fiddles, banjos, and and whatnot. So the feeling of like the music definitely it, it has a, it has a really particular feel down here. Like the the rhythm and uh, the 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 form of the tunes and what I've just heard mm-hmm. in the last 24 hours. Um, and it's really really great and really unique. It's very specific. And I'm wondering the instrument makers in this area. Can you tell when something was made, like in this area, as opposed to like uh, somewhere else? Because people are making banjos and fiddles all over the world. Yeah, you know? I, probably on some to some to some level, it probably I can I can tell when a person like Albert's fiddles. A lot of them have sort of a similar sound yeah. built for a certain way of playing. Uh, it varies from maker to maker, yeah. but like banjos a lot of the local banjo makers probably they build open backs because more people play yeah. old time around here and i don't i'm trying to think some people don't put scoops on their banjos and some people do so it uh it's probably more on a builder by builder basis yeah, yeah. would be my guess like i can a lot of builders stick with a certain sound because they might have different techniques when they play and some of it has to do with the builders uh playing technique too but uh yeah, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that a whole lot. Yeah, because I'm just curious about like you know those apprenticeships and things like you know, um, yeah, instruments vary so much. I'm wondering if there's like regional, you know, because like you ever heard of Boniface banjos? No, I this guy in um, in Denmark. Uh-huh. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and his uh, his kids um, always come to Clifftop, and I hang out with them. Uh, but yeah, he's a Danish 
Danish banjo maker, and he makes these sort of like monster monster banjos. Like I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful to look at, and beautiful sounding. Um, and I don't know if I'm just projecting an otherness onto them, uh-huh. or <laughs> you know, or if uh, or if there is something just sort of like different about them. Yeah, you know what I mean. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, instrument making is a fascinating thing. I wish I had uh, took it up because, like I said, Albert Hash's daughter, Audrey, was a good builder. And she taught a lot of people, local people, how to build instruments. But I never, I'm not that good with woodworking, but I wish I had got into it. Because I'm sure each builder has secrets passed down from yeah. person to person, right. you know, about certain ways of, of putting stuff together. Well, I'm glad you spent your time playing fiddle. <laughs> it's it's it, doing both seems like it would be impossible. It's hard yeah, to yeah. me to understand how Albert, you know, did that for so long, building all those fiddles and being a great, great fiddle player. Yeah, so, totally. How about we try one of uh, Albert's tunes? And this one actually has direct local history tied to it. Um, Albert's grandfather's cousin was a fiddle player named Nancy Blevins, and this was probably around Civil War. Uh, era roughly that she was a fiddle player right here in Crumpler, Ash County, North Carolina. She was known. Um, and this, I'm sure that this tune had a different name, but uh, it's been called Nancy Blevins locally because she played it. Yeah, and I guess just uh, which is kind of neat that she's remembered, you know, in, in that form or fashion by, by a tune that she played with her name. So, didn't you see someone else with a Blevins name earlier? Mm. Is there another Blevins? Jaunt Blevins, yes, that's right. I don't know that he's... He may have been related to her. Jaunt was from Grayson County, Virginia, which is not very far from here in Ash County, so there's a lot of Blevinses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Smith's. <laughs> there's a lot of Blevinses around here, but yeah. this tune is actually in a special tuning. It's in um, D-A-D-A tuning, so... Uh, oh, you mean from high to low? Yes. Oh, okay, yes, very yes. good, very good. So, and uh, they call that... Around here, they call it straight D. Straight D. <laughs> and just like whenever you cross tune to A-E, A-E, it's uh, straight A. So yeah. that's what Albert or Dad, I've always heard them call it. So anyhow, we'll try a little bit of, try a little bit of this one, Nancy Blevins. Very good. Thank you. 
Yeah. Nancy Blevins. Yeah. I'm a little bit out of practice on that one, but it's a, it's a good, uh, pretty Me good too. dance tune. <laughs> right on. Yeah, so how, how do people, uh, how do folks dance to that one with that with that form? You know, I don't know. We only play it for flat footers, so okay. I don't know. Like, I don't, it might be a problem if it was a certain kind of square dance. I don't really. Yeah, don't you, were, you were saying that, like, at a typical dance, it's, would you say like two flat footing tunes and then a waltz and then a square dance or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there's a, there's a good local healthy dance uh, situation going on around here. There's a dance in Allegheny County, Sparta, called Allegheny Jubilee. And I, it probably has been going for 30 years or more mm. now, but mom and dad played there every Friday night for 13 years when I was growing up. Yeah. And then... Um, uh, once I started my own band, I started my own band around 2004, I think, was the first first year that we had shows, Crooked Road Ramblers. And uh, so we started playing around. And one of our favorite things to do is play some of the local dances. You know, it's, it's good for practice. And uh, it's more like, uh, it's less like a performance and more yeah. like a party, you yeah. know, with your friends. So we play at the Allegheny Jubilee, you know, maybe five times a year or something like that. It's three hours. Then there's a dance hall in Freeze, Virginia, called the Freeze Theater. Really nice building they fixed back up. And they used to have dances there back in the 80s and 90s, too, and have started back again. There's also a dance hall, a place with a lot of dancing in Galax called the Rex Theater. They do dance there. Um, there's some down around Mount Airy. There's there's a lot of different da- old time dance halls around here where people go mm. flat foot. But typically the structure say we'll start off we'll do two fiddle tunes or you know a fiddle tune a fast song. Yeah. They'll flat foot. Then we will do a waltz. Then we will probably do another flat foot. Then we'll do a square dance. Interesting. So uh, flat footing is a real big, real big thing at the local dance. Just like everyone do it. Well, like the Jubilee probably holds maybe 120 people, and on a good night. You might have like seventy or eighty of those people out there flat foot. So, so are they just sort of all mingling in like a huge Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we'll get in a circle and people Cluster. will get in the middle and like do their own like show off their best steps or whatever. Yeah. You know, so like break dancing. Yeah, yeah, similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a lot of fun. That's one of my favorite things to do. It's also the three hours is a long time to play. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like work. Don't want to do it too often. So uh So I I'm I'm always curious, you know, we have a, a West Philadelphia square dance, um, but it's there's a lot of younger folks I don't think grew up uh, grew up dancing or doing square dancing and uh, it's always a little more like educational it's mm-hmm. like there's like a long period of like when I've gone long period of teaching mm-hmm. teaching the form and stuff like that and then you and then you just do it over and over again for a very long time you know maybe do like uh, you know six or seven square dances for for a night mm-hmm. what is it like down here? In this culture, like... I guess some of it... I mean, these people had to learn somewhere, but I've never seen them do any training at any of these dances. It's always like, if there's new people there, yeah. if they do a square dance, they'll the rest of the people will be like, okay, if you yeah, mess yeah. up the first five times, it doesn't matter. We'll show you. You'll get yeah. it by the end of it. So but there's the sixth time, yeah. you're out. <laughs> well, no, not, not necessarily. Yeah. But they don't uh, they don't train it. And the flat footing is more such a freeform sort of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like people... Sometimes feel comfortable just getting up there and doing whatever they want, you know, since there's not any, there's so many different ways to flat foot. Do you flat foot? I used to. Used to? Yeah, when I was a kid, that was one of my, that was one of my musical activities before I played much music. That's cool. flat footing, but I don't do it so much now. Yeah. So. We kind of wanted to learn how to do it. Yeah. 
one of the uh, guys in my band, John Perry, is a really good flat footer. He's won a lot of ribbons for it over the years. And there's there's so many different. Some people say, oh, you know, don't lift your feet mm-hmm. a certain amount of, off your ground, or then you're clogging. There's lots of different like <laughs> yeah. definitions of of flat footing versus clogging that go on. It look and they have lots of dance competitions. All the local fillers conventions, the dance competitions, of course, a big part of it. So, so when, so since there's no like training in in the in the square dance scene, now, do people just are they familiar with the specific dances, or do they just know the calls? Are the calls just super standardized? I think they're just familiar with the dances. Like they sometimes. <coughs> We might only do four square dances yeah. at night, you know, at a three-hour thing. Okay. And uh, lots of times there's like Chase the Squirrel, um, Golden Gate. There's several fairly standard, you know, things that they use for yeah. the dance. And uh, they definitely have collars, but lots of times these collars don't even have microphones. So most people, you know, they like, Interesting. they, they kind of just leave them to their own devices, assuming, you know, most people get it, That's have got awesome. it or already know it, so... It's it's pretty cool, but the like I said, the flat footing is a big part of it. Um, the, they also do a thing called the shuffle, which is so easy and it's so fun to watch because the men line up on one side and the women get on the other, and you get a different partner every time through, mm-hmm. which is you know it's fun. And then they just do whatever kind of dance they want down the middle of everybody. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> those are those are pretty popular with cool. the local dancers too. So right on. What's next on this list? Um, this is one called Old Sport. And it's another one of uh, Albert's tunes. So let's try a little bit of that one. I'm going to need a minute. All right. <laughs> I need to get to A. Oh, yeah. I need a tune. This is Albert, huh? That is. On yeah. the wall? Yep. So uh, there's there's all of these all these black and white photos on your wall. Um, a lot of these are Albert, right? That is that Albert, too? That is, yes. And anybody else? There's one more of my parents with Albert. Yeah. And then there's yeah. So but there's a great photographer, a local guy named Mark V. Sandiford. Yeah. Who's a wonderful photographer who started coming to Galax, I think it was nineteen sixty six, coming yeah. around this area and he just fell in love with the music and the people. Yeah. And he just happened to have a great eye for photography. Yeah. And he certainly does. And he still takes pictures. I mean he still comes around and takes pictures of all the local musicians, but he's nice enough to uh, share his you know collection with a lot of people so and, and you're saying he's he's particular about not taking photos of jerks <laughs> yeah he takes pictures of of, of people that he likes that he which likes. is a good thing yeah. and you know the nice thing about old time music is m- most of the people are nice yes so there wasn't yeah. a whole lot of people that got overlooked whenever mark took uh took his great photos thankfully. yeah it's not like he was like a like a, a guy who held grudges or something yeah it's just like exactly yeah yeah, he took a lot of good pictures. He's a good fiddle player too, and uh, um, he spent a lot of time with Uncle Norm Edmonds, the Edmonds family, uh, and kind of plays a little bit like Uncle Norm and some of those other yeah. nearby Galax guys. So this photo of, of Albert is a uh, really cool. Like it's really well composed. Like the way the way it's focused. Like everyone's sort of like blurred in the background, but he's right in the middle, and he's got this like um, he's got this like kind of country country shirt with embroidery on it like tucked in and it's sort of rolled up and uh he's got a he's got a belt buckle that a belt buckle that i think has a fiddler on it it does it does <laughs> i've seen those belt buckles around i feel like they sold them at galax fiddler's commission yeah. at some point but they're very cool yeah. but 
I think this picture, if you look, uh, I think it's the cover to Abrahash Volume Two FieldRecorder.BandCamp.com, oh, right and you can see this picture. Right on. Uh, it is a is a great great photo of Albert. He's got a really interesting look on too. Yeah. <laughs> Albert was really uh, generous with uh, teaching and and pretty much everything in life. You know, he was just yeah. universally known as a really good person. So, how old is he in this picture? Do you think? You know, he passed away much younger than you would think. I, he might be in his fifties or huh. early sixties in that picture. But I think when he passed away, he might have been just in his sixties. You know, and he had a heart attack. But uh, if uh, if it had happened five years later, I'm sure he would have probably still been with us for a lot longer. But they probably yeah. just didn't have the medical knowledge yeah. locally that they needed at the local hospital. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately, well, he certainly seems to be seems to be living on. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right, let me finish tuna day. I got distracted. That's one Albert um, actually there was a there was a fellow up in Pennsylvania that owned some radio stations. His name was Mr. Pate. I'm blanking on his first name. Do you know where in Pennsylvania? I don't. But it's a big state. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, he um, had a radio station, played a lot of old time bluegrass music. 
And he would come down and visit Albert. And he owned a couple of Albert's uh, fiddles and other instruments, actually. Anyhow, I guess the radio station would get in all these promo copies of fiddle records, mm. and he would bring them down or mail them to Albert, you know, whenever, I guess, if they weren't going to use them. And one of the records that uh, he mailed Albert was by a Texas fiddler named Bill Northcutt, who was ex- excellent, excellent Texas Texas style fiddle player. And that record was on the, the Stoneway label out of Texas. And that was basically, I can't remember the guy that owned Stoneway, but he produced fiddle records by Chubby Wise, Howdy Forrester, a lot of the great, the great fiddlers of that era just churned them out, tons of them, you know, especially Chubby Wise, maybe had like 25, 30 full length LPs on this label. But Bill Northcutt had a couple. Albert listened to the record, and it had uh, that tune we just played, Old Sport. It had another one called Hangman's Reel, mm-hmm. and, uh, which is real popular. You'll hear that at fillers conventions here locally, yeah. to Clifftop, to everywhere you hear Hangman's Reel. And a lot of times it's Albert's version of it. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so Old Sport and Hangman's Reel, he learned off this Bill Northcutt record. And uh, Mom and Dad still actually have the the copy that Albert learned it off of, I've got it in there, and it's got um, two X's next to Old Sport and Hangman's Reel, where he would go through the record and mark what he wanted to learn, you know, <laughs> on the back of the on the back of the LP cover. So anyhow, those tunes that on the record though sound very little like what he actually turned them yeah. into, which is interesting to me. Um, so he learned them from that LP, but pe- the way that people play it is the way that Albert exactly. Plays it. He recorded them. I think he recorded both of those. I think it was 1974 for Kyle Creed's record label called Mountain Records. It's uh, just called Albert Hash and White Top Mountain Boys, I think is the name of the record. And Old Sport and Hangman's Reel are on there. And a lot of people took up, took after, especially his Hangman's Reel. Yeah, you hear that one a lot. I hear that all the time, yeah. And uh, he played it in Cross A, like we're in right now, straight A. And uh, But the Bill Northcutt record he actually played it in the black mountain blues hmm. c sharp whatever tuning and so almost it's almost like albert just made up parts is of that really himself it's the same as calico yeah yeah okay cool, people, cool. yeah yeah so um but anyhow it's they're both they're both good tunes and uh albert totally put his own own stamp on those mm-hmm. two for sure so he, did he sing them no, no albert didn't sing and the hangman's real lyrics i think that that definitely came into creation I mean, you know, after the tune got popular, I don't know. Right, so right. I'd probably come up with those in the 80s or something would be my guess. Right, but, right. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're good tunes. Yeah, I'm going to have to hear that recording. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of recordings to show me when we're not recording that's ourselves right. and other people. That's yeah. right. That's right. Very good. But, um, yeah, so Albert, Albert's a great, great fiddle player, and uh, I think that's a good representation of how the, the fiddling process works in terms of people you know, really fall in love with versions of a tune, but it's kind of strange how that uh, the version they fall in love with was something almost wholly created by somebody. Yeah, yeah. Learn it from listening to somebody else. So it's that's the way the, the fiddling folk process works, I guess, yeah. for sure. Right on. So, shall we try another uh, try another tune? I know we're going to have to do some tuning for this one, the Lost Train. Yeah, let's play the Lost, Lost Train Blues. Lost Train Blues.
<laughs> Those of you who are wondering what that squeaky noise is, um, Kilby's just sort of like sweeping his, his bow across sideways across the strings. <laughs> That's right. That's one uh, uh, I learned from cousin Dean Sturgill, who's uh, from Spencer Branch, North Carolina. He uh, he's I think he's 81 or 82 now. He doesn't fiddle much. Oh, so when you say cousin... You don't mean cousin your age. Exactly. Okay. Yes. I was wondering why you're like learning all these tunes <laughs> yeah. from this dude your age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. No, no he's uh, about the same age as my dad. They're, okay, both, cool. they're both either 81 or yeah. Dean might be just a little bit older. I'm not sure which. But anyhow, they both kind of, you know, started playing, I reckon, around the same time. And Dean learned some from Albert, too. Dean's older brother played. And uh, Dean is a... It was a great all-around fiddle player could play, you know, old-time bluegrass, pretty much whatever you wanted to play, he could play it. And uh, when I was in high school, we used to go and uh, sit down and, you know, just learn tunes from him, and he'd play as long as as long as you want to play. You know, he would play him and play him over and over. So that's one. That's kind of one of his specialties. And uh, there is a CD of him on the Field Recorders Collective, too. It's Dean Sturgill, and he's playing, I think there's about 30 tunes on there, and he's also talking. And uh, that's definitely, definitely one of them. He talks and is like, you know, the train's headed Spencer Branch or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. kind of does that sort of stuff on it. That's <laughs> so one good thing about old-time music is uh, it's easy to meet and play with your heroes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like whenever <laughs> whenever I first got into it, I was like, okay, you know, obviously my parent, your parents are your heroes if they yeah. play music for sure. And then the people that were their heroes, if the, the ones that are still around it's easy to go see him like yep. go sit down with dean he was as friendly as could be nice as could be you know and, and welcoming him and his wife and uh um i was lucky lucky enough you know dad would talk about these people he used to play with when i started my own group one of my one of the the legends in my mind was this group called the new river ramblers that were really popular locally in the in the 70s 80s they won when galax was kind of galax fiddlers convention which is a huge convention was kind of at its peak in terms of old time entrance they won it several times in a row they were just you know very uh visually entertaining yeah in addition to musically was that the video you showed me yes, last night yeah. yeah there's a youtube video if you look up new river ramblers the banjo player is especially entertaining to yes. watch <laughs> yes but um but they had kind of most of them the, the new river ramblers didn't exist by the time i started playing in other yeah. words but one of the uh, main guitar players john perry my dad had been a member of that band briefly, and actually I was born in 1982 in June, and my dad was at the World's Fair in Knoxville playing a show with the New River Ramblers at the time I was born. Hmm. So about, you know, 20, might have been 25 years later, uh, looking for a guitar player in the band, I was at the Freeze Fiddler's Convention, and there was John Perry, and we yeah. had a jam, and we just ever since then we've been in a band together. So it's kind of fun. Like I said, you run into your heroes, then you end up in a band with somebody who's both been in a band with your dad, yeah. and also is one of your musical heroes. And he's got his own unique style. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of great of living and playing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and there's a lot of local guitar players. The, one of the things I really like, and, I, and it may be why it's more widespread than I realize. There's a lot of different guitar styles, so he basically does runs, you know, all the time. Yeah. And when I was really learning more about the music, I fell in love with, probably from the 50s to the 70s, big bands. When I say big bands, I mean several members in old-time groups became a thing. Lots yeah. of times it would be two guitars, right. a bass, sometimes even a mandolin. So yeah. that was kind of my favorite thing, 
you know, as those big bands with sounds layered upon each other. Like any kind of music, it's neat to hear what each instrument yep. has got its own little role, you know. And uh, so that, anyhow, um, I love the two guitars, mandolin and bass, which is what, what's in my band. But got to play with John, still in my band, thankfully. And um, one of my other musical heroes was uh, Pico Watson, who's a Callhammer banjo player from from Galax, and he was a banjo player with a band called the New Ballard Branch Bogtrotters, who later, like, they were, the, if the New River Ramblers kind of were the Galax winners in the 70s and part of the 80s, then the Bogtrotters won Galax through the 90s, and they still have a lot of success there. So, anyhow, Pico was their banjo player for uh, a long time, and I think he was their first banjo player. And uh, at one point, my group, about, maybe about five years ago, we were looking for a new banjo player. So Pico played with us. He's just recently kind of retired, but he played with us for about four years. But that was nice to get to play with. Like I said, what other genre yeah. of music can totally. you actually be in a band with your, you know, your people you look up to so easily yeah. like that? You know, and they're all nice people. So, speaking of um, Crooked Road Ramblers, where can we like get your CDs? And um, the best way is to go to look up Crooked Road Ramblers on Bandcamp. We have three different CDs. There'll be a fourth one up very soon. And we also have a website, crookedroadramblers.com, with our schedule. We're mostly around Virginia and North Carolina, but every now and then we get a get a little bit a little bit further out. So we hope uh, people will come see us. Like I said, the Allegheny Jubilee Freeze Theater, some of those local dances, if you play old-time music or you like old-time music, if you're traveling around, it's well worth seeking out those yep. dances just to see all the great dancers. I mean, the dancers are, are just great. So it's a lot of fun. Right on. Well, um, let's get to see and play this Katie did. All right. Uh, do you have anything good. to say about this one? I do, actually. Um, one of my other fiddle mentors, Johnny Miller, he's 86 years old. Um, great all-around musician. He was a fiddle player. A, a lot of people from North Carolina, Virginia, migrated to Pennsylvania and Delaware for work. Uh, you know, 50s, 60s era of of. They just moved up there for better jobs, basically. Yeah. And a lot of them have to play music. Um, some of them were... Uh, there's a great band called Ted Lundy and the Southern Mountain Boys who had roots down in this area. Traditional bluegrass, almost old-time slash bluegrass yeah. is what I would say. Anyhow, uh, Johnny and his family uh, moved up there. And there was a couple country music parks. When I say country music, old-time bluegrass country you know, of the time. Uh, Sunset Park, New River Ranch, Old Bell Reed, uh, hmm. who's... I'm sure you know of Ola Bell, really mm-hmm. great musician. Uh, Johnny played the fiddle for Ola Bell for a very long time, and he also was like a staff musician at those music parks. So he got to play with Hank Williams Sr. Yeah. when he passed through, you know, people like that. And he's just a great all-around musician. Uh, fiddle, pedal steel, uh, you could do like Travis, Merle Travis style guitar. Um, and he was somebody that lived about 15 minutes from where I grew up. And so whenever I got interested in learning, you know, he, he would come to some of the local jams, and I just ask him, you know, could I uh, uh, come see you sometime? So I would go over to his house, and we'd, he, he knew a lot of, knows a lot of tunes that uh, are unique, that nobody else locally played too much, like this one Katie did, which is a C tune. He learned it from, I want to think it was one of his uncles that played the fiddle up in Pennsylvania. And uh, also, Johnny, like I said, he's got a lot of unusual tunes. I think he, he shoddishes. Like he said, they would even play for shottages up there, and his yeah. uncle in Pennsylvania played shottages yeah. on the fiddle and stuff, which is unusual. There's not a whole lot of that, yeah. you know, around here. 
so he's a great uh, great musician great friend and uh, recently uh, gave me one of his fiddles and bows and I really enjoyed uh, playing on that that was a great honor that he that he did that and I appreciate that so maybe we'll try uh, this is one we actually put on the new the new CD so I'm sort of practiced up on it halfway as, <laughs> as Katie did so it's in the key of C Kelby Spencer thanks so much for being on the show and um, just inviting me into your home and bringing me all these like awesome musicians to play with and record it's been it's been a treat it's been a blast we've really enjoyed it too yeah alright I'm gonna get tunes I think it's convinced alright Thank you. 
Kilby's band, the Crooked Road Ramblers, just released a new CD called Always Been a Rambler, uh, a title that I think is totally earned based on all the crazy stories Kilby and his girlfriend Kelly told me about their bandmates and uh, had the discretion not to share on the show. Anyway, I'm listening to it right now. It's awesome. Kilby's fiddling is great, obviously. Uh, Kelly Brighting has a few solo tracks, and she's a killer banjo player, and her voice is incredible. You should buy it and listen to it so we can talk about how good it is. You can find it at thecrookedroadramblers.bandcamp.com. Then hop over to fieldrecorder.bandcamp.com and uh, get those Albert Hash CDs so you can hear where all this music comes from. I'll make sure and include links uh, on this episode's description on your podcatching app, on your phone or other device, and uh, on the Facebook page and on the Get Up In The Cool blog on my website, CameronDewitt.com. If you want to support Get Up In The Cool and get access to MP3 downloads, online banjo workshops, and the weekly bonus track, sign up to support the show on Patreon. Jim Hobson and Stratton O'Hammon II signed up last week, and they'll get to hear me and Kilby play this week's bonus track, Say Old Man, Can You Play The Fiddle? If you love the show and want me to keep making it, the best way to let me know is to support Get Up In The Cool on Patreon. Just go to CameronDeWitt.com, click the Patreon button, and sign up at a level that works for you. Once again, thank you so much uh, to Jim and Stratton and all the rest of my uh, Patreon supporters. There's like 28 of you now, which is incredible. I'm just so uh, humbled and grateful um, that you guys like the show and uh, that you want to uh, support it financially. That's so awesome that you're uh, giving me money when you could just listen to it for free. Thank you so much. Also, you can all get uh, the Get Up In The Cool Volume 1 CD uh, online. It's available for order and download. Just go to my website and click the buy slash stream button. Or if you're going to be at uh, Brandywine, Harry Smith, Clifftop, Gennaro, or Rockbridge, you can get a physical copy from me there. It's got all the best tracks from my uh, 2016 interviews um, remixed and sort of seamlessly woven together uh, to make a really awesome album version of the show. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, friends. Come back same time next week for more Get Up in the Cool. 